Welcome to the Metaphoricist Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story is When the Future Calls by Selena Kasha. Selena Kasha survives New England winters on black coffee and good beer. Most mornings, when hacking away at a piece in progress, she worries if writer is a title she can apply to herself. Whether it's an app title or not, she's happy that by some kismet combination of SEO and love for science fiction, you found your way to this story. In her professional life, she has been a literary agent, a math textbook editor, an English teacher, and an IT manager. When not reading or working, she trains for marathons and tries to remember to stretch. Usually, you'll find her writing at your local brewery. Find her online at selenakasha.substack.com or on Twitter at salele underscore C. That's S-A-L-A-Y-L-A-Y underscore C. Let's jump in. When Derek came down to breakfast, the sight of Savannah at the table stopped him cold. The dermate pod attached to his sister's left bicep pulsed with seafoam derm paint. She'd gone for crustacean euphoria, the one flavor that didn't leave an iron tang on the back of Derek's tongue. Except for the elite, no one on earth had eaten physical food since 2100. The dermate feeder pods, embedded in their skin, were all they had now. How's work at the mausoleum at the end of the old world? Savannah asked. Anything, like, interesting recently? Or are you still cleaning glass? That's breakfast ruined, Derek thought. He gritted his teeth as he rotated his shoulder. His joint clicked. Two days in a row now, scraping graffiti off the Vince Offer series at Infomercial Intersection. It didn't help that his dominant arm hosted his own empty dermate pod. The graffiti had been interesting, but as long as she called his place of work the Museum of Anthropological Findings, a mausoleum, he wouldn't mention it. Aren't you supposed to be an adult and, like, get your own food instead of taking mom and dad's? He asked, staring pointedly at her arm and then the front door. She snorted. You're the one living at home. At least his assignment at the museum gave him a reason to leave the house so he didn't have to hear, for the tenth time, about how what his parents really wanted was steak with bubbled butter in a pan. It didn't matter to them that the last cow had died well before environmental reconstruction, before they were born. He reached across the table and palmed through the remaining derm paint flavors, anthropoda chiffon and imperial dulse, fancy scientific words for this will taste like ass and is made from either seaweed or ants. They were lucky they could afford clean 10th generation upcycled dermate filters. Derek had seen something about it recently on the news, how too many people died from stretching the pods beyond their allocated uses. I just don't see how you can watch the same dumb videos every day selling you shit you can't buy, Savannah said. You don't need to, he said, and reached for Imperial Dulce. If he'd been able to choose his job, which no one did, he'd have gone for his over hers every time. Savannah lived on the other side of Philly with a brutal set of roommates all of whom waded knee-deep in toxic waste from nine until seven, collecting samples, plungers sucking up earth muck and what little water there was left, just to spit it out somewhere else that told them it was no good, not ready yet. They'd be lucky if the toxins didn't kill them in the process. I'm on the cutting edge of post-environmental reconstruction, she'd said once. 
They'll upload my words to students one day. But what she avoided thinking about head on, something Derek thought about for her instead every day, was that the exposure would be the end of her, and maybe it wasn't worth it. You didn't think the museum was torture, he said. Remember 4D? She rolled her eyes. 4D? How you can pause a commercial and step into the frozen film frame and mess around. You know, when mom took us, back when we were kids, you went into a music commercial. Oh yeah, she said, distracted. Her forehead softened. I think I tried a piano once. They had 4D on infomercial intersection as well. He hadn't used it in ages, but once, on a particularly boring shift, he'd stepped into a Vince offer frame. The bars of the recording had fizzled like carbonation against his skin, and he had held a slap chop in his hand, the seamed plastic cold against his palm. The memory lingered between them, like the echo of a touched key. Savannah cleared her throat. The other day, we were collecting samples on the south side of the Delaware River. You know, the spot by the old Bristol plant? And Marina caught one of the testers just throwing them out, dumping the mud we'd spent hours pulling right back into the river. It's all a hoax, she said. Did you see them do that? He asked. Marina did. So you didn't, he said. She glared at him and leaned forward. A pimple had crusted above her left eyebrow. She'd been picking at it. Whatever moment the 4D had given them was gone. If the old worldies had just done the right thing to begin with, we wouldn't be wasting our lives on pointless jobs. I don't get why it's our responsibility to fix their mistakes. We weren't there. She paused and leaned further forward. We need to resist the tyranny of the past. The room stopped. The graffiti. Resist the tyranny of the past. Plastered red on Vince's face on Derek's favorite infomercial of them all. Savannah, he lowered his voice. What did you do? You know it's true, Savannah continued. She took a sip of water. You're going to get yourself in trouble, he said. What he really meant to say was she was making environmental reconstruction about herself again. She didn't want to go on shoveling crap for the rest of her life, and while that was fair enough, it was also tough luck. Her discontent wasn't Derek's problem. Why? You gonna go run to your supervisor and put your only sister in jail? His jaw clenched. She was probably on her list already. Actually, he was probably on a list now. Typical Savannah, screwing everyone else's lives up without a second thought. He'd been an antibacterialist at the museum for over 15 years and wanted it to stay that way. There was something to be said for the comfort of those light-blocking windows, the dark walls, Vince offers voice echoing across Micah. She smiled to herself and stood. Thought so, she said. Anyway, gotta head out. Need to see if the water is unfucked yet or if we still need to drink filtered piss. She didn't push her chair in before heading to the door. When he went to work that night, he filled an antique steel mug with beer to keep him company. Drank half before he reached the ruined display. What remained of the graffiti on Vince Offer's Slap Chop series was three days old now, and Derek watched Vince bob across the defaced screen, his head wavering in and out of the word resist. His stainless white shirt glowed behind the carmine lens. What Derek would give to be next to him in the infomercial, saying lines and smiling at the camera, palming the Slap Chop and showing America how to be skinny again, eating stuff called tuna. Derek looked at Vince and then down at the scraper in his hand. 
Savannah and her idiot friends trying to prove a point didn't bring the owners of the museum down to the floor to clean up the mess. He pressed the edge against the glass and began to scrape. Stop having boring tuna. Stop having a boring life, Vince said. He slapped his palm down on the white knob of the slap chop, the blade slicing dehydrated tuna into cubes. Derek took another drink of his beer. The carbonation crystallized behind his eyes. Vince's teeth looked like bleached ceramic in the dark mica hall. Poor bastards, Savannah had said once. No idea what was coming until it was too late. And now, we're so scared of what could happen if we try something new. There's no trust anymore. If you knew what was coming, I'm sure you'd do something about it, Derek said to Vince on screen. If infomercial intersection was to be believed, Vince had been everywhere, perhaps even at the same level as Hollywood stars. Everything Vince sold was meant to help people. The slap chop, the shticky, the invincible, the sham wow. Make their lives more bearable. Derek watched as Vince continued slicing and dicing, iceberg lettuce this time. The crunch crisped and tingled the skin below Derek's ear. There was nothing the slap chop, and Vince for that matter, couldn't handle. It was on historical record that plenty of people knew the climate crisis was coming and did nothing, but maybe Vince had been different. Derek pressed down hard on the scraper's handle. The last tea was almost gone now. From the smell of it, it was russet scarlet paint, probably stolen from their parents' supply. It flaked onto the floor at his feet. Vince had pivoted to hard selling, throwing in a free cheese grater if you called in the next 15 minutes. They'd even add in a cutting board for good measure. What a deal. Operators, Vince intoned, were standing by. Someone had scrubbed the number on the screen to show all zeros. It blinked in half-assed binary. Somewhere, far off down the hall, an overworked water pipe clanged. Derek glanced briefly down the hall after the noise. Nothing moved except the light playing against black pitch from the activated offer screen. He needed to walk around, a distraction so he didn't have to think about what Savannah had done. Derek raised his mug and took a long pull of beer. Swallowed. The alcohol was really hitting now, deep in the nerves of his hands. He stepped away from Vince and felt, more than heard, the video pause. The silence dropped in on him like declining air pressure, and he continued past the offer series to the videos he often skipped. He went through phases like anyone. Wandering closer to the Joe Gray series, his fingers tripped across the screen. The infomercial activated. This is the only device on earth that is truly hands-free, Joe Gray said. He wore an absurd headset with a suction cup attached to a 2000s mobile that kept the phone pressed against his head. Derek watched him, his stomach unfurling from its knot. He'd never touched a phone, never even thought about the object glued to Joe's head with any real curiosity. No one used old-world phones or numbers here anymore. Thanks to the natural evolution of facial recognition from the 2000s, Derek could just leave a memory note or a viz based on the image of a person's face in his mind. So this type of comms device wasn't a part of Derek's everyday. His eyes followed Joe Gray's lips as Joe spoke into the mobile. It was in every shot. Not a piano, but it was an artifact of the beginning of the technological revolution, the base of the exponential advancement curve. Way cooler than a piano. Derek had tried plenty of offer products, but not much beyond that. He was in untested territory. It would be a lie if he said he wasn't a bit drunk, a bit lonely. 
that maybe it'd feel good to screw around and see how another old world relic felt. He put his fingers over the numbers of a mobile pad for kicks. There was no one here. He wasn't even sure if his time at the museum would be numbered now because of what Savannah had done. If they knew, what did he have to lose? The only other option was just staring down a hallway at the end of the world, previously known as Philadelphia, in silence. A thrill shivered down the back of his shirt. He walked to the Gojo hands-free screen and looped behind the projection. It took him a few tries to remember the order of operations, but he finally managed to turn on 4D mode. Even though Joe Gray couldn't feel it, Derek moved carefully as he untangled the Gojo from the frozen actor's ear. His thumb grazed the keypad. He inhaled static. The mobile in his hand was still old enough to have letters above the numbers. 2 equals ABC. He turned the phone over gently in his hand. There was a running joke about old worlders doing funny phrases for advertising purposes. Vanity numbers, that's what they were called, he remembered. They'd been plastered on billboards all across the corporate wasteland. 1-800-GOT-JUNK to get your old furniture to a landfill, pronto. Maybe 1-800-WEATHER to learn about the forecast. He laughed out loud. Or even 1-800-SLAP-CHOP. That'd be a good one. He punched in the 1-800 and then 757-2467. Each push prompted a gentle ping. With the number complete, he clicked the button with a pine green old-style handset on it and lifted the rectangle of plastic and metal to his ear. The line began to ring, a tiny sporadic jolt. They'd done the work to make it feel real. He had to give the museum credit for that, at least. He held the mobile a few inches away. He couldn't find the volume button. Apparently, Joe Gray liked it loud. Pick up, you dumb old-worlder, he said into the speaker. This was absurd. He was about to end the call when he heard someone. At first, he thought it was coming from behind the screen, grainy, a bit garbled. Slapchop hotline, Bob here, the voice said. Someone had definitely picked up. Derek's stomach dropped. He pulled the phone away from his ear, stared at it as if he could see the sound waves coming straight toward him from the speaker box. Um, hello? Derek said. Yes, hello, Bob replied. Hello? Derek echoed back again. His mouth had gone dry. There was someone there. A real someone. Shit. Yes, Bob asked. Is this where... Derek tried to find the words. I mean, do you sell slap chops? Yep, that's what the hotline's for, Bob said. This man from the past sounded annoyed, like he had somewhere to be. This was ridiculous. Derek looked back down the hall. Okay. Wow. Okay, Derek said. His voice was too loud in his own ears. He ran his hand through his hair. How many do you want? Bob asked. What? Slap chops. How many? Do people buy more than one? Derek asked. Sometimes. I don't need any, Derek said. He bit his lip, waited a beat. The alcohol tingled across his jaw, and he pressed the phone harder to his ear. I'm from the future, he said. It came out in a whisper, but Bob heard it. There was a huff on the line. Look, if this is a prank call, Slapchop has a policy to take action against you people, Bob said. Look, no, sorry, I didn't mean to bother you. It's just, I'm a fan of Vince's. Watched his videos more than a few times, Derek said, trying to play it cool. We've got a whole museum dedicated to them. Can I talk to him? 
Vince Offer? You hire something? Bob asked. He's not in the call center. Derek looked back down at the dregs of beer in his mug. Still cold, the froth staining the sides of the tumbler. No, not high, but I am a little tipsy, Derek admitted. That seemed, for some reason, enough of an answer to satisfy Bob. What did you want to tell him, future man? Bob asked. Future man. Derek smiled at that. Savannah would hate that. Derek licked his lips, breathed. Um, I'm not sure. So let me get this straight. You're calling me, from the future, to talk to Vince, and you don't know what you want to tell him. No, no, Derek said. He looked back down the hall at the graffiti, tried to remember back to his history classes of when the Earth started dying, probably in Bob's lifetime. If Savannah had this chance, what would she do? It's going to sound crazy, he started, but everything they're saying about the climate is true. We survived it, but it's not the same. We lost a lot. Even though Derek wasn't sure exactly what they'd lost, he felt it in his bones sometimes. He saw it in the deep horizontal line in Savannah's forehead. The monotony. The lack of direction. Maybe that's what she'd meant by tyranny of the past. A past they were all still paying for today. Derek glanced back into the depths of the darkened hall. The pitch animated with the looping videos. Tell Vince, Derek said. His voice cracked. The line had gone quiet. Somewhere in another hall in the Museum of Anthropological Findings, a digital counter clocked 4 a.m. What the hell am I supposed to do with that? Bob asked. Derek wished he had the handless tool that Joe Gray loved so the phone didn't keep slipping down his slick palm. Just tell Vince what I said, Derek said again. He'll know what to do. Bob snorted. He doesn't have two brain cells to rub together. And he won't listen to me. I mean, would anyone believe you if you told them the world was about to end? It took everything Derek had to keep the phone against his ear. His panic crested through him like a wave. Probably not, Derek said. I'm not anyone. His arm ached. He looked over at the gojo, but didn't move to take it. Well, I guess time doesn't change that, Bob said. I'm sorry, but I can't help you, bud. I don't like to rock the boat. Just come in on time, get my paycheck, and go home. No drama. Derek took another long pull of his beer. He didn't know what to do with his hands except to keep the phone glued to his ear, the past breathing down the line. Most of all, he wondered if Savannah would have done a better job, been more convincing, said the right words that would have changed history. Since you're from the future and all, Bob said, can I ask a question? Sure, Derek choked out. Did it make a difference? Bob asked. Did what make a difference? Derek asked. He wanted to reach down the line and shake Bob. This was the difference. It was staring at him across centuries down a tenuous connection. A slap chop, Bob replied. We've sold over a thousand so far. Did it make a difference in people's lives? I mean, you're calling me about it from, well, the future, so I'm assuming we're famous or something. Resist the tyranny of the past. The remaining red paint glistened off the slap chop's looping screen a few paces down from him. What Derek did know was posted below the digital display. By the end, Slapchop had sold 50,000 of their devices. They did not end America's poor eating habits. He'd even heard that one had taken out the last surviving dolphin. Most, if not all, the Slapchops were pulled from landfills in the Great Recycling Era that predated environmental reconstruction. 
They were dismembered and repurposed, the plastic powering early dermate filters that kept what was left of mankind alive. They definitely helped things along, one way or another, Derek said. Bob mulled that one over, but didn't press it. Well, you sure I can't interest you in a slap chop or a shticky? You can shticky anywhere or anytime with anyone, Derek said. The quote from Vince's earlier product lines got him a shocked chuckle. What a weird day, Bob said. I'm going to need a drink after this. Yeah, Derek replied. And think it over. What I told you. You could change everything. Bob laughed at that. You're not the only one trying to save the world, bucko. And if they can't, I sure as hell won't be able to. He cleared his throat and continued. Gotta free up the lines for real customers. Take care, future man. A lump calcified in Derek's throat. The line cut. And with that, the past slipped back behind a silver screen. Derek placed the mobile back on Joe Gray's ear, slid the Gojo suction device back in place. He stepped out of the pixelated box. The static bubbled back across his skin and gave way to the clean, if antiseptic, air of the infomercial runway. He unpaused the Gojo, watching Joe Gray jump back into a conversation with whatever actor played his mom. Gingerly, he sat down on the floor crossed his legs in front of him, and watched the video loop back on itself, over and over in the dark. It couldn't help repeating itself. That was all it was meant to do, after all. That was When the Future Calls, by Selena Kasha. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or, better yet, Share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at metaphoricistmag.